Passage Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. What's up, what's up, what's up, Bass Edge Nation? That's right, we're here, May 1, episode coming at you. As always, Kurt, glad to be back at the mic talking about fishing, but this is kind of the time of year that we need to be out there doing it. So uh, I'm going to hold you to keeping on point today because we have time to be out on the water and this is the time of year to do it. And I want to also point out before we dive off into the great show that you have lined out for us today, as always, MegaWare Keelguard, makers of of numerous products. We've talked about it many times. The first do-it-yourself keel protector. It's the original. In my book, it's the only one. They make the flex step. They have the skate guard. Be sure to log on to keelguard.com. Check out their entire lineup or certainly go to bassedge.com. Their entire lineup of products you can purchase right there. Want to make sure that your boat is protected as we hit the water. Aaron, I've noticed MegaWare stepping up the pace on the Facebook page. Make sure Bass Edge Nation, you go check out MegaWare's Facebook page. They're posting some pretty cool stuff and uh, having some fun over there so uh don't be left out join in and talk about being left out aaron i don't know if i want to go outside man i finished this tournament at lake cumberland over here in kentucky in the middle of april and i'm hanging out there for a few days and it's snowing what in the world is going on in a blizzard in minnesota all at the same time how about things out there in missouri it was the same way i literally i had to leave to do some business out in a much warmer place that exact same week that you reference i think I think it was probably somewhere back around the 7th of April, kind of through that 14th. That was a rough week. I left St. Louis. It was 30 degrees at takeoff. I landed seven days later back in St. Louis, and it was like 32 degrees. Snowflakes were flying, sleet going down. I wonder, is this going to have a major impact on what's to come leading into the summer, Kurt? I think it has to, Aaron. I mean, at the Cumberland event several weeks ago, fish were wanting to get up, trying to spawn. And then again, we had this cold front that come in right after the tournament. So that's going to set it back for the recreational anglers. Although the fish were biting, that's the great thing. You know, maybe this cool weather keeping these temperatures in the mid 50s is keeping the bite going just because it's like these fish are constantly pre-spawn. They just keep eating. (laughs) But I think for the most part, you're exactly right. It's going to push things back a little bit. Although the biological clock still ticks along in the uh, bass behavioral world. So uh, it's not like we're talking about it's going to kick way back. But certainly even after after that cold front, it's not like we've all of a sudden thrust into this latter part of April into some great spring-like summer weather. I mean, spring's hanging on, man, even though it's getting late in the year. So um, I say getting late in the year. It is late in the year when you're in South Texas. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. And I saw at the last tournament that I fished, which happened to be on Table Rock, you know, clear reservoir, the moon situation generally in that full moon of April is when the first big wave comes. And all Although there were some that were doing their business like you speak of, I really believe that there is going to be the second wave or the next push is going to be really when the majority of the spawn happens. So it's interesting how nature calls audibles, but really they're still working from the same playbook. And quite honestly, I hate to say it, but a bass is a bass and you said it best. They still have to go to the bank and spawn. Yeah, I think the tip right now for folks hitting the water is keep the moving baits going because there's still a lot of fish that haven't really locked in yet, it seems, uh, especially especially in the midsection of the country. So uh, moving baits are the great pre-spawn equalizer. You know, you can cover a lot of water, really find out where these fish are funneling to into these shallow water areas for spawning. Of course,
course, there is fish spawning and it's going to continue to progress, but still moving baits are great options to have going this time of year because I still feel like there's a lot of fish, especially in the midsection and northern part of the country that are highly pre-spawn behavioral patterns at this point. And even down south, if we're looking at a couple tips for guys fishing, you know, in Alabama or Louisiana, Mississippi, a lot of those fish are still on the last waning edges of the spawn. A lot of them are done, but there may be, you know, 10 or 20 percent still left to go just because of some of the fronts we had at the uh, mid to last part of April. Those bass right there are ready to start chomping some top water type lures, start looking for those types of things happening. Shad spawns are starting to pick up. Blueback herring spawn starting to go off in the North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia area. So uh, lots of options to have a great time fishing out there right now. No doubt. Speaking of a lot going on, I know we're throwing a lot at you now and we're going to even dial it up another notch. Let's head to this week's protecttheharvest.com tackle tip. This week's protecttheharvest.com tackle tip with Bass Edge host, Kurt Dove. Guys and gals of Bass Edge Nation, I got to throw you a little tip here in this protecttheharvest.com segment. And this really has to do with my experience just a week ago at Lake Cumberland. We had some dirty water situations, a lot of lures, and you hear a lot of people talk about being natural, you know, mimicking the bait fish and being very natural to whatever the current forage is in a, in a particular body of water or based on water color and those types of things. I got to say, every once in a while, you need to try to throw a different pitch. <laughs> and really what we saw at this particular event and what I have seen over my experiences at time is sometimes those really bright chartreuses or those lures that really stick out can be the ones that the bass really react to. Make sure that you don't load your tackle box with everything that's just all natural looking forage, natural looking this, that. Sometimes throw those white and chartreuse bladed spinner baits, throw those bubble gum and chartreuse jerk baits. These are some baits that I had success with there at Lake Cumberland. And these aren't just necessarily indicators of what happens on that particular body of water, but it can happen in your neck of the woods too. I've used a lot of these types of things, especially up north in New York or Michigan, used some of these things on the Potomac River, down at Lake Amistad in Florida. Sometimes using those bright, vibrant colors can create that illicit reaction strike from these fish of something they haven't seen, something they're not passing pattern to, something they're not used to seeing swim by them and will create that reaction strike. So be sure to change up a little bit what your colors are. Not always natural, but throw those bright, vibrant, odd-looking baits out there. Sometimes they're going to create strikes that you would have not got before. Great tip. Thanks, Kurt. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine Products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and Marine Products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. 
enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. So, Kurt, we're bass heads. Call us what you will. I know a lot of Bass Edge Nation out there is the same way, but uh, talk about it all the time. Jay Kumar's Bass Blaster, and now there's kind of this bass geek yeah, that's out yeah. there. So, so <laughs> we're, we're taking it to level two. Yeah, you got a bass blaster with a bass head, now a bass geek. <laughs> hey, make sure you sign up. Man, this is the greatest little informational tool, Jay Kumar's Bass Blaster. You can sign up for this Bass Blaster at BassGold.com. Let Jay know you are wanting to be a part of the blaster and potentially the Bass Geek. I just got the email, Bass Geek 2. This was, uh, you know, a week or so ago. But man, when I was reading through this, I wanted to bring it up on the show. The estimated lifetime odds of an angler catching a 10 pounder by state. I think this is pretty cool, man. So, Aaron, for you over in Missouri, you have a 1% chance of catching a 10-pound bass in a lifetime of fishing. A lifetime of fishing is defined as 16 outings per year over the course of 60 years. You got a 1% chance of catching a 10-pound. Yeah, that's not too good. That's not too good. What you're telling me is I need to move. <laughs> well, if you want to catch a 10. So you can move to Texas down by me and using the same estimated lifetime odds of an angler catching a 10-pounder in Texas, an angler has a 33% chance of catching a 10 pounder again that's 16 outings per year over the course of 60 years so uh this is pretty cool stuff so you go through a couple of states in hawaii you got less than one percent chance (laughs) in arkansas just south of you so you could drive just a little south of you in arkansas you've got a 10 percent chance alabama 13 percent chance new mexico not a bad percentage you got a five percent chance north carolina nine percent tennessee's seven and goes on and on and the uh, top states California Florida Texas all 33 percent then trailing close behind you've got Louisiana at 20 percent there's no other state that's even above 15 after you get to that Louisiana number long story short hey look you a bass geek I'm a bass geek make sure you sign up for Bass Blaster Bass Blaster at BassGold.com and uh, Kumar will hook you up with the goodies man it goes into all kinds of great stuff talking about youtubers and just information about advanced tactics so it's a lot of fun and uh, man i enjoy reading it oh i love that stuff and when you get into those statistics and you hear people talking about catching double digit fish and those type of things when you look at it you realize what the odds are maybe we can be a little more gentle on ourselves when we're not catching those monster fish but uh man i sure did not think that there was that big of disparity between the states. it is and i gotta say this real quick i've been in texas for 10 years now i have far exceeded the percentage uh, as far as what the calculation is there 16 outings per year for 60 years i probably have been spending 125 to 170 days a year on the lakes in texas over the last eight years and i've caught two 
Marines, which most people would probably call a 10 pounder and probably 10 fish over nine pounds. But um, I'm still waiting for my wall hanger, dude. I tell people all the time when I catch my 10 pounder, it's going to be a great day, but yet a financially sad day because it's probably going to cost me 500 to a thousand bucks to create this amazing mount for this 10 pound plus bass. <laughs> so, You've got the spot. That's for that's sure. Right. Hey, and, and speaking of having the spot, the spot for all bass edge stuff, just want to remind everybody a lot of cool stuff going on. I know a lot of times we ramble on that, but to be able to follow all of the action with Bass Edge, there's a lot of information obviously within the context of the program that we cannot cover just here on air. want to make sure and direct everyone to BassEdge.com. A lot of times we don't push stuff on the store, but this is the time of year when everybody's getting out on the water and, and there's certain things. Don't forget from the Lucas Oil products, the Land and Sea oil that they have that is virgin oil. It's not recycled stuff. You've got the Slick Mist products to keep all of your tow vehicles and boats looking well. The ethanol treatment, which we know where that has went within the marine industry, the impact, the DVDs, all kinds of stuff, Kurt, that is on there. Yeah, man. And don't forget, we've got some additional informational segments on there. We've got featured articles that come out with every episode of Bass Edge Radio. We've got featured videos that come out. Most of this stuff through our partnership with Source One. And I mean, it's great information that guys are laying out there, helping everybody become a better angler and giving that education for the uh, podcast. Yeah, no doubt. And speaking of education, we have on deck right now, ready to go, another angler to share the good stuff right here on Bass Edge Radio. We'll be right back after this break. Hey, you got professional angler David Mullins. This is SLW Tour Pro Bradley Hallman. I'm professional angler John Carr. Bass Master Elite Series Angler. Jason Baby, Cliff Crochet. This is Bass Elite Angler, Chris Lane. This is Bass University Pro, Pete Kluzak. On Bass Edge Radio, we'll be right back. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard Keel Protectors. Well, Bass Edge Nation, we are going straight up to Canada for this show. That's right. Our first Canadian guest here on Bass Edge Radio may be long overdue after the success from Canadian anglers, especially here the last uh, several years on the FLW Tour. Great to have on the show FLW Tour Pro, Chris Johnson. Thanks for being with us today, Chris. Oh, no problem at all. I appreciate you guys giving me the time today. Well, certainly that time is earned because you've really started to make some ways in the FLW organization, and certainly a lot of times... What we talk about here on Bass Edge Radio, Chris, is consistency, and your consistency has become very prevalent. How have you been able to take your Canadian fishing roots and really apply them so well in the southern U.S. waters? Well, there's a few things. Believe it or not, up north in Canada, everyone has this misconception, all we catch is smallmouth, but really I grew up flipping and punching, doing milfoil, flipping reeds and stuff. So that's why I really like fishing grass lakes like Gunnersville or Okeechobee, Harris Chain. So that stuff's kind of been really easy to adapt to. The things that have been a little harder is the flooded reservoirs and stuff. And we don't fish large enough without grass. So 
and that's just doing your homework and being able to adapt and do different things and it's paid off so far um, but uh, I'm always trying to adapt and fine-tune different skills and I got a week off here between tournaments and I'm just going to play on another reservoir and kind of try and learn different things about it. Well that certainly seems the key to uh, lots of success you know you hear about Jordan Lee and winning the last couple of classics and he talks so much about spending time on the water and obviously that's going to help anyone become a better angler. Chris congratulations again on your tour win just last month at the Harris Chain. That was an awesome deal. I'm sure you were super excited. And if anybody does any research on you and, you know, you also travel around with your brother, Corey, you can see that you had dominated Canadian events and still dominate pretty much your home province of Ontario. When you're growing up, who were your mentors and how did you obtain such a tremendous knowledge base at your younger age? We were a bit spoiled when we were growing up in the fact that my dad was a tournament angler in Ontario and he fished the top circuit. I think it was called the Chevy Pro Bass Circuit. And back then you were fishing for, I don't know, 10 to 12 grand a tournament and then five of them and then you're fishing for a truck and boat at the end of the year so that was the big tournament scene in Canada and there was a lot of good fishermen in it Bob Azumi was one of the big names um, he's a big name in Canada for TV but he did very well in that series so since my brother and I were old enough to walk my dad had us in a boat we were always in a bass boat going out with him practicing for tournaments so we've been doing this for a long time and uh, it kind of feels natural doing it because that's what I grew up doing so we were spoiled because we didn't have to go out and learn ourselves a lot of young anglers maybe don't have a dad or a grandfather that takes them out fishing shows them how to do it they got to start from scratch and you can do it as just uh, it takes a few more years to learn on your own. So I was very spoiled in that manner and I fished my first tournament when I was 11 years old with my dad. Ended up winning it and I think it was 2500 or $3,000 and this is my first yeah, tournament. What kind of toys can I buy with that? <laughs> exactly. So I, I put that in the bank and to an 11 year old kid that's a lot of money. That's a lot of candy so it was awesome and I bought some new rods and stuff and then I was hooked on the tournament fishing ever since and between my brother and I we're always uh, very competitive people we played a lot of sports growing up hockey lacrosse baseball so once you grew out of that fishing is still something where you can have that competitiveness until you're 50, 60, 70 years old if you want to do it so it's nice to still be able to do something competitive and keep that going through fishing as I got a bit older I think when I was 14 or 15 my dad kind of stepped back from the tournament fishing he still loves fishing but a lot of our tournaments are teen tournaments so my brother and I who was four years older we started fishing together and uh, we kind of fine-tuned some of the stuff my dad had shown us sure. and at that point technology was changing with electronics different baits and presentations and we kind of fine-tuned that we're trying to keep a one step ahead of everyone back home and right. uh, to be honest we really stepped our game up when we came down and started fishing the coaster series we learned quite a bit fishing down in the states that we've transferred back to Canada and our fish probably haven't seen these techniques and a lot of fishermen aren't doing it and it really helped us pick up a lot of wins back home with stuff we learned in the States. That's great stuff and you know you bring up an important topic that is often thought about but never really vocalized a lot. You know we as anglers obviously for our sport to grow is about introducing people to the sport and part of that even though we're called bass edge and we're bass geeks and bass heads and we love everything bass fishing there's so many other species that you can have a phenomenal time fishing, whether it's perch to catfish to walleye to the northerns and, and then the muskies. And I think oftentimes the northern United States and then up into Canada, 
may get unfair stereotype or stigma concerning that that's what you go up there for. And there's not a whole lot that's talked about with regards to the bass. And you kind of alluded to that a little bit when you brought up the smallmouth, but kind of set the stage, if you will, for the Canadian bass fishing scene. And how does the fishing industry tend to lean in Canada? Is it more bass fishing or are the other game fish more predominantly targeted by Canadian anglers? In Canada, to give you an example, our season opens in June. And uh, before that, our ice is going out right now as we speak. And at first ice out, crappy season, panfish season is open. So you're going to get a big push of anglers wanting to get out as soon as the ice goes out. And the only thing you can fish for is panfish and crappy. So you get a huge push of people getting on the water, going out with family, catching those fish. And then the second week of May, you get uh, walleye opens. And you're going to get a bunch of anglers. Like you go in my local lake, you'll get two, three hundred boats out there for the opener. It's like wow. that for a couple months, and so you kind of everyone gets their fix of each season. And then bass season comes along, and in kind of southern Ontario, I feel like most people switch to targeting bass. But there's still a lot of people that like to go into resorts and fly-in destinations. They're a little more remote, and that's where you're getting a lot of northern pike, the walleye fishing. So there's still a lot of that. But on the more popular lakes, just like down south, I feel like most of the anglers switch to bass when it's open. So it's pretty obvious you and your brother and your dad, which I think is a great story, you know, as far as your father and the way he brought you guys up and basically had daddy daycare in the bass boat. That is freaking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that was his way of getting us out of my mom there, I think. Exactly. She's like, take the kids out. And no problem. We're going fishing. Come on, boys. <laughs> so yeah, I can, I can think of one time, I don't think she was too impressed when uh, we ran into trouble on the middle of Lake Erie and we were out in five, six footers and it was pitch black and my dad's got his two kids <laughs> we're not back to shore yet uh, ran into motor problems so we had to go across the lake so that was one of the times she wasn't too impressed I can remember that one but other than that it was pretty good that's a great story were you and Corey freaking out or I'm sure your dad's there trying to relax kids it's okay and are, are you guys <laughs> to like, be honest uh, we weren't freaking out because uh, we're in a boat we're safe like it's floating right, but right. probably more so my dad's freaking out what he's going to get into trouble with once he's <laughs> gets back to shore because at this point there's no electronic he's going by lights on the shore oh man that's amazing it's funny to think about you know that's a great point you know you think about 15 20 25 years ago i mean you know the technology that we're all privy to today i mean it wasn't even close and uh, that's exactly what it was it was lights and lining this up or that up and when you got into trouble you get into some trouble real quick and uh, you had to be very aware of your surroundings and it was more about being a good outdoorsman in those days Whereas now it seems like being more technology savvy gets you a lot farther than even worrying about being an outdoorsman. So um, that's yeah, kind of exactly. And for example, they used to fish. My dad and his partner used to fish on Lake Ontario quite a bit. And they would use a compass and a map to get across the lake. And most people don't even know how to read a compass and a map anymore. You just look at your GPS turning on. And to give you another story, they had uh, there's two smokestacks on the Canadian side, uh-huh. which you can usually see from a long way away. When you're in the middle of the lake, that gives right. you your bearings. You head back. Well, fog rolled in the middle of the day and you can't be sure oh no so like little things like that if you don't know how to read a map or a compass like we lost some of that stuff but we uh, we make up for our electronics i guess today yeah exactly talking about you know aaron brought up that question about you know different species and obviously in the southern u.s and, and well, all over the u.s you know you've got a lot of us guys that are just nuts all we want to do is catch a bass and we don't put much of thought or time or effort into other kinds of species is that the same way in canadian fishing scene do you have people that are just concentrated on bass fishing and no matter what time of year it is or when it is all they can think about is how to catch the next bass 
there is those guys, but the big difference in Canada is we have the season, so right. they can't get out and actually target them until the second week of June. So a lot of those guys want to get on the water, so they'll be going out panfish fishing or walleye fishing. Gotcha. And we actually used to have a lot of walleye tournaments, and before we were coming to the States, we would fish a lot of walleye tournaments, and still a lot of fun, but the rules and regulations have changed with slot size and stuff, so there's not as many of those tournaments. But now we just... As soon as the ice goes out for myself and my brother and my dad, that's our opportunity to get to take people out fishing and take some of our friends out, go crappy fishing, catch 50 to 100 fish and have a that's little awesome. fish fry and maybe a couple beers. And that's our time to kind of hang out with friends with easy fishing. Right. And same with the walleye. So, yeah, we have a lot of hardcore bass anglers, but they're going to be fishing other species to take the edge off until bass open. Gotcha. Now, when bass opens, it sounds like, I mean, you're fishing for trucks and boats and $10,000, you said. It sounds like there's some pretty big bass fishing tournaments on the other side of the border up there. I mean, of course, a lot of us know about the Canadian Open and some of the really large, you know, kind of prestigious events that go on up there. But um, it sounds like even in just the local circuits, there's some good money to be fished for up in Canada. You're exactly right. And there's probably four or five series in kind of southern Ontario. Gus, he's a whole different ball game. He's 24 right. hours away in northwestern right. Ontario. But in my area, there's four or five tournament series, and every weekend from June 2nd to the end of September, I can fish a tournament on a Saturday for four or five grand and a Sunday for four or five grand. And they're all within an hour drive of my house. So, yeah, you can say we got a lot of serious tournament anglers, and it's more condensed because we don't have a long season like you do in the southern states. But there's guys that want to pay three, $400 every day to go out and compete, and it's been very good to us. Yeah. And that's kind of what got my brother and I fishing in the States is we were doing very well in these tournaments and kind of put our money away. And just like a lot of guys, we paid out of our own pockets when we wanted to start fishing the tour. We didn't have a big title sponsor to pay our entry fees, and um, it worked out very well for us. That's awesome. Let's talk real quick about some seasonal tactics before we go to our first break. You talked about ice out starting in Ontario. They had a blizzard in Minnesota, you know, a week ago. <laughs> so Southern Ontario is south. I mean, honestly, I mean, you're talking about just the same as uh, New York or Michigan, Minnesota, or even Vermont, New Hampshire, those kinds of geographic areas are right on the same plane as your location there in Ontario. So what kind of techniques do you like to use this time of year when you're starting to see that transition into ice out as far as uh, catching bass? I know you can't really target bass this time of year, but if you were going to that section of the U.S., how would you like to target the fish during this time of year? Well, it's very similar to down here when it's really cold. You can't beat a jerk bait. It's one of the first baits the large month are going to bite when ice goes out. Get around some rock, some bluffs, Throw a jerk bait. For example, we go to Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. Every we've probably gone the last five years, but we haven't been able to the last two because of the tour schedule. But that's one place you can fish basically as soon as ice goes out. And you're fishing for smallmouth. They'll move quite a bit with the wind. Um, you get the wind blowing in a pocket. It pushes some warmer water in. You can go in there and throw a jerk bait or fish something very slow, like a tube on the bottom. Hardly move it, and you're going to get bites. But definitely slowing your presentation down is a huge thing. Lake Erie's open as soon as the ice goes out. You're going to be catching big smallmouth, and one of the biggest things is a jigging spoon to catch them out in that deep water or a vibrating jig. Cool, jigging spoon. 
that's not something we hear a whole lot about here at Bass Edge. Obviously, they use it down south, and Watson has showed us a lot on MLF that uh, it can be very productive around docks and things like that in uh, Ozark lakes and uh, big, deep, you know, clear water impoundments. What are you looking for when you're early season trying to utilize that technique? What kind of leads you to, to that technique? What kind of pattern do you see develop when you're out there fishing? You're fishing deep water for us, maybe 30, 40 feet, or you could do it in 20. You're finding those fish where they're, you're in their wintering holes still. They haven't left. The water's still cold, but the water's just starting to warm up. They're getting a little more aggressive. And uh, you could drag it too, but it's just a different presentation. I prefer it because you can put a little more action on the bait. And sometimes you can see the fish on your graph, but they're going to be basically glued to bottom. Right. So it's very basic. You let your bait go to bottom and you just hop it up two or three feet. And one of the times you're going to hop it, it's just going to load up and it's game on. You're not going to get them quite as aggressive as you would when the water's warmer, where when you hop it up and they hit it on the fall and your line jumps, a lot of time you just you lift it up and they're there. And like I said, these fish are usually relating to some sort of shoal on the edge of a rock shoal. Sometimes they'll get into mud in the winter and they kind of lay on bottom on a muddy bottom. So. What kind of jig do you like? Is it like a bladed jig or do you have a specific one that you like to lean on? To be honest, I don't have a specific one. Okay. Um, my personal favorite is a vibrating jig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like a silver buddy or, or a sonar or something like that? Exactly. Gotcha. And any of those are going to work. And it's pretty easy once you find them. Uh, let it go to the bottom, hop it up two or three feet, and if they're there, you'll know it. That's it. Location, but, location, location. Yeah, but sometimes you go and drag a tube, not get a bite, you throw that, and you get 10 fish. It's just a presentation. You always try it. Sometimes they want a tube on the bottom, drag a swim bait on the bottom. Other times, they'll eat that fiber and jig. Awesome. Great stuff. Tell you what, this has been a great interview so far. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Bass Edge Radio chatting with FLW Tour Pro. Chris Johnson. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio, brought to you in part by Mercury Motors, returns with FLW Tour angler Chris Johnson in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil, high-performance marine products from real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturer's requirements. Be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for all of your Lucas products. It works. Chris, you seem to be a very versatile angler in your techniques. You know, we all love to read how guys did well in tournaments. When you see your top 10 finishes, either in the Costa or FLW Tour events, it seems like you can be all over the map, whether it's drop shotting or throwing a bladed jig or flipping and pitching. How do you like to start targeting bass in Canada when the fish have finished spawning, when that season really kind of gets going and water temps are starting to creep into the high 60s? There's a couple different scenarios. Where I live, there's a lot of grass fishing. So if I'm around one of my local lakes and not a great lake, my number one bait is going to be flipping a jig. And they're going to get out in the milfoil. And to be honest, when I was growing up, it was probably my least favorite technique because I'd be practicing with my dad and we'd go flip for four hours and hardly get any bass. I'm like, this is boring. Let's go fish in docks or something. <laughs> but in years of practice and patience, when I start to fish tournaments, I realized that flipping is probably the way to win tournaments because, yeah, you go for four hours, but then you find one clump 
of weeds that has got a group of fish in them. Those big females, they've gone in, they've spawned, they've done their thing in their back, and they're eating bluegills on the main like main weed edges. And you usually find like a little point in the weeds, and those are where you're going to be winning tournaments. So my main technique is a black and blue jig with a little chunk trailer on it. That's what I'm going to be looking for in my local lake. And the smallmouth will get in it too, actually. Um, if you find the mill soil in a little shallower water that has a rock bottom or has boulders mixed in, you're going to get smallmouth with this technique too. And you're using a heavy 7.5 flipping rod, 65-pound braid. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I can imagine. That's no fun, right? <laughs> Just jacking off. No, especially when you set into like a five or six pound smallie and you set in and the first thing it's doing is coming right out of the water and it's usually a little bit of a mess because there's only ten feet of line off the end of your rod. This thing's going bananas around the boat. So it's fun. Um and then to give you another example, when I go to a Great Lake or Lake Simcoe, which is probably the best smallmouth fisher in the world, when they spawn they actually stay in shallow in five to ten feet of water and the lakes are crystal clear and the warmer the water gets they'll actually move shallower and they'll start bunning crayfish out of the rocks and they'll be eating all these gobies and they like the warmer water so you'll actually see them on a calmer day they'll suspend just below the surface and 10 feet of water so you can see them from like 100 feet away and what they're doing is they're actually speeding up their metabolism they're warming themselves up so they can eat more and they're just trying to gorge themselves. And there's a lot of different techniques you can use to catch these fish, but they want to eat. It's been a long winter. They spawn, and they'll do this for about a month. And uh, it's probably the most exciting fishing you could ever experience. Well, when, you're, and when your I'm growing talking, season is only two months, I guess you got to take it while you can, right? Yeah, and these are giant smallmouth fish. And you're, we're talking like 25 to 32 pounds for five fish. And uh, people don't realize how big they get or how good the fishing is up in Ontario. And we have some tournaments but they don't get as much publicity as fishing a tour event or an elite series so it's kind of like a little hidden gem up there have you I'd talked like to bill to taylor yeah and they want to go a tour event the going up there <laughs> The money's there. Um, the towns actually will support them, but the problem is the cross-border um, with passports and insurance, they couldn't go. So you guys down south will have to come fish a Canadian event if you want to experience this fishing. That's right. Several years ago, we used to always hear about Simcoe, you know, Simcoe and these giant smallmouth bags. And you're right. You don't hear about how great the largemouth fishing is up there. So that's awesome to hear in this uh, Bass Edge episode. But at the same time, you know, is Simcoe still rocking, throwing out 30-pound bags of smallmouth? Yeah, it's silly like for example i fished the canadian open has kind of moved lakes used to be on lake ontario the last three years it's been on simcoe uh-huh. and if you don't have 25 to 30 pounds you're probably not in the top five wow and i weigh just under 30 and don't forget these fish just spawned and they're feeding up so they're not at their max potential weight and right. i weighed 29 something for five and uh, that's by myself if you go two weeks later, I guarantee you, you could beat 31, 32 pounds for your best five. But to be honest, we only have one tournament there a year right now, so it doesn't even really get any pressure. If someone wanted to go vacation up there anytime in July, all you have to do is go in 12 feet of water or less, look for them, you'll see them, and it's a ball. I'm on my way. Yeah. <laughs> 
Hey, Chris, quickly, I want to jump back to something that you brought up in your explanation, and that is fishing around submergent vegetation or rocks in the spring, you know, is obviously, as you mentioned, a very popular technique up north. And, you know, while that water is warming, how do your techniques vary from one cover to the other? And then also kind of following up to that, do weather conditions kind of dictate which cover might be better to target on a particular day on the water? Yeah, it does. My favorite way to fish basically any time of the year up north is calm weather, hot and sunny because it positions the fish right where they should be. I mentioned earlier that we have some like cane and we'll get some mats blown in it or mats blown into the shore. You know when it's hot and sunny those fish are going to be under that vegetation or they're going to be out in that 10-12 feet in the weed clumps. They don't normally roam too much but the shallower fish they'll roam and I'm sure and know it's the same down here is they won't necessarily cling to the docks when there's no sun. As soon as the sun's out, they go under, they, they get in the shape, they feel protected. When it's sunny, I like it more because it's more dialing. You can call your shots where you're going to get a fish. And same techniques, you're flipping a grenade, you might be punching a mat. We use a lot of heavy line. We don't do as much casting like the Potomac River where it's all chatterbait, swim jigs. We don't do as much of that because our grass grows out 10, 12 feet. And if you were thrown over the top of it, you're only be getting down two feet and the fish are on the bottom. So it's a little different in that aspect. I don't know if I answered your question right, but... Yeah, I think so, for sure. Our number one bait is a flipping style bait, and we're flipping deep milfoil. Um, Champlain has a lot of it. I think Gunnersville gets some, but our milfoil is almost up to the surface in the end of June. So when it's overcast, they'll still be in that milfoil. That's where they're living for the summer. So, What kind of yeah. weather conditions would dictate whether you went to rock or mill four? Are you trying to find a combination of both is always maybe the best scenario. But um, so is there a particular the weather condition that will lead you one way or the other? So the weather conditions, they don't really matter for that deep mill foil. They're there. They're not going to leave. If you find rock in the mill foil, that's your juice. You can get small ones, large amounts. That's probably where you can get a lot of big ones. Sometimes when it's sunny and calm, you can throw top water over and get them to come up. But it doesn't really matter weather condition-wise. They're going to be there. You can throw a jig and catch them. The weather affects them more for the shallow fish, the ones that are relating to docks and isolated mats and the cane. If it's overcast, they're roaming the flats. They're harder to catch. You can throw a spinnerbait and catch some. But as soon as the sun comes out, they're going to go into that structure. Good stuff. I got a kind of odd question here. You know, just seeing you on the water sometimes out there in the FLW tour and or seeing you on FLW Live every once in a while. You know, at first I thought, man, he must do some saltwater fishing because you're always putting a bunch of effort into your cast. You know, if a guy's fishing at the beach or something, you know, he's got like a 12-foot rod and he's swinging way back and he's firing that thing out there. You know, it seems like 100 yards or something. And I see that sometimes from you. I think it's awesome. It's really interesting do you feel like long casting distance is really important and if you can discuss with our listeners why this might be important to you in certain situations uh you're probably right on that and i don't even realize i do it anymore (laughs) but i kind of picked that up in more so the clear water the great lakes fishing shallow smallmouth is i want to get my bait as far away from the boat as possible because chances are if the fish can if you can see the fish they can see you and your odds of catching them go way down So I want to get my bait as far away from me as possible. You get a lot longer time in the P zone. And uh, when, like, let's say you're fishing Kentucky Lake, 
your bait's going to be in that higher percentage area for longer. So I want to make my cast as long as possible. Now, there's certain applications you don't, but sure. uh, for the yeah. most part, throwing a topwater or whatever, I want to be fishing longer than I'm casting. Yeah, that's good stuff. I noticed that before, and I think that was a great tip for listeners to know that casting distance can make a difference. You know, sure, obviously, we've got places we're making short flips, pitches, or throwing a spinnerbait at cover, but when you get out there in open water, that's an awesome tip, you know, to be fishing more and having your bait, you know, work in the water a lot longer gives you a much better opportunity obviously to catch more fish so that's my logic to it anyway <laughs> it seemed to work so far so i can stick with it makes sense hey let's roll into our listener question segment brought to us today by nitro performance bass boats today's question comes from adam mattingly and adam asks obviously in practice competitors idle around quite a bit graphing and searching for good structure or cover to fish my question is how often during a tournament or a professional stop fishing and idle around graphing an area does it happen often what scenarios might bring them to do that he has a very difficult time bringing himself to do that during an event because he feels like he's wasting too much time and not fishing chris what's your take on it that's a tough one it does happen in tournaments but it doesn't happen that often it really depends on the lake for example just fish cumberland and i would never idle around during a tournament it's a shallow fishery so you're not doing that you get to a kentucky lake you're going to do it a lot more where the fish are out on offshore structure and it comes into a combination of you have to do it during practice you have to know what you're doing the easiest way to do it is if you have a decent practice you get that 15 to 20 pounds you get a decent bag you can slow down and look at your map be like yeah this place might have some fish and you kind of idle over it you give yourself five minutes to look for that next hot spot for day two or something or you want to upgrade a fish you can slow down and have more patience doing that it's a lot harder to do when you have nine pounds on a one-day tournament and you don't, you don't have a lot of confidence in it. So if you didn't have a good practice, you don't really have a choice if you know the fish are offshore. If you got 10 pounds in the well, well, you got to find that honey hole and you might not find it, but if you do, then you feel like a hero for idling around in a tournament. It's a tough one. I'm not sure if I answered that right or... I think you hit the nail on the head because like you said, if you have nine pounds and you're in a tournament situation, or even if you're just out fun fishing, we always want to try and improve what we have and and sometimes yep. you just got to step away from the action and uh, create a pause and go and try and find something or create something new. And, you know, sometimes you can do that much more efficiently with your electronics, like you speak of, versus uh, with a rod and reel in your hand trying to pick an area apart. And that's where it really helps, too, if you have a couple days of practice so you don't necessarily have to do that during the tournament that's what those practice days are for for example on Kentucky Lake you're going to have 10 spots you're going to graph those spots probably before you fish them anyways because the fish can leave so you're going to graph them during the tournament oh there's no fish there I mean, you go to the next spot, you graph it for a couple minutes, and you find the fish, they might have moved 100 yards, then you're going to start fishing. So there are certain scenarios where you're going to have to graph during the tournament regardless. And another instance, when you're fishing Great Lakes, small ones are deep, you're going to pull up to a spot, you might have a couple rock piles, you might have a break, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to pull up, graph, and you're not going to fish until you find those fish. Now, it's a lot harder to look for new spots during a tournament because, well, you might not find them, but if you don't have anything else to do and you know the fish are deep, well, you better start graphing during a tournament. Hope you find that 
big pot of fish. Thanks for answering that, Chris. And we certainly appreciate, Adam, you sending in your question into Bass Edge. So please, we need one more thing. Contact us through all of our social media platforms or send us an email, support at BassEdge.com, or simply log on to BassEdge.com, click the Claim Your Prize section, and we will get out the gift certificate to you to claim your merchandise. As always, a reminder to Bass Edge listeners, send us those questions via our website, BassEdge.com, to have a shot at winning some great Bass Edge giveaways. You can also shoot us an email, support at Bass Edge, or leave us a comment on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter media pages. Chris, I just want to throw out a big thanks for spending time with us here on Bass Edge Radio. I wish you continued success in 2018. Do you have uh, some final thoughts before we kind of shut this down? Not really. I appreciate you guys giving me the time to uh, come on the show and talk a little fishing. And I highly recommend any uh, southern anglers, when it's getting too hot down south, maybe go up north and try your luck and... uh, like I said, we got some of the best resources in the world, I think, for largemouth and smallmouth. So you cross that border, and it doesn't take much to go on the internet and maybe Google some uh, some of the top fishing destinations in Ontario. And I think you'll really be impressed with uh, what we have up there. Yeah, man, I'm on my way. I might see you there later on this summer. But uh, I got to send you off with our little Bass Edge segment, four last questions for you. You ready for this? Sure. All right, we are in the NHL and NBA playoff season. Which do you prefer? Oh, that's an easy one. Come on. I'm Canadian hockey. (laughs) What's the last picture you took with your cell phone? Let me just go through my photos and look. Um, (laughs) A friend of mine's uh, pregnant right now. and I thought it'd be funny last night. I was bored. I found a picture and said, During labor, the pain is so great that a woman can almost imagine what a man feels like when his fish gets away. (laughs) The guy losing his fish. (laughs) It got me in a little heat and water, but that was funny. That is funny. I like it. All right. (laughs) Okay, so if you can live on any lake you fished in the U.S., which one would you choose? That's a tough one. I fished some good fisheries, but I really love the way Lake Okeechobee fishes. I love flipping and pitching, so I'm going with Okeechobee. Okeechobee, and it's warm all year, right? It's <laughs> a good yeah. choice. Okay, your favorite fishing season, spring, summer, or fall? Uh, spring. I like it when the leaves are getting green, the turkeys are gobbling, and the fish are pulling up the spawn. Man, this has been an awesome interview. I know that Bass Edge Nation has really got to know Chris Johnson, today, an awesome Canadian angler, and your brother Corey also uh, making some noise out there on the FLW Tour, and Man, it's been just great getting to know you a little bit better. I appreciate you being on Bass Edge Radio. All right. I appreciate that, guys. All righty. Take care. Good luck the rest of the year. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift. PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent. PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to eight feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole. Swift. Silent. Secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. 
little bit outside of the box, but also outside of the U.S., Kurt, with that angler. Very, very informative. Yeah, obviously, Chris has a lot of experience in the U.S. over the last several years and brought lots of experience from Canada. You know, it's great to hear his dad getting him and his brother Corey into fishing at a young age. And I think, you know, you see a lot of the success that people have catching fish consistently. And that's because they spent a lot of time on the water. They do a lot of research. And when they hit the water, they know things to look for. They understand what to look for. And that's why Bass Edge is such an important resource because we don't always have all this time to be out fishing. So we can lean on these anglers that have a lot of time. The weekend anglers can listen to Bass Edge, kind of absorb what's going on in the world of fishing and take that and try to apply it in the limited time that they have on the water to hopefully be more successful. Yeah, no doubt. And it's not just listening to Bass Edge. I just want to remind everybody to stay up to speed with everything Bass Edge through the social media platforms, the great giveaways that's provided absolutely free. Just by being a part of the Bass Edge community, you can be eligible to win some of that great stuff. And and we're not talking about, you know, $2 uh, baits that you never throw. We're talking about $150, $200 items that you can put into your possession by simply just being a part of everything Bass Edge. And certainly want to encourage everybody to follow us to BassEdge.com, where we have the articles, the videos, the Bass Edge store packed full of Lucas product, MegaWare Keel Guard, the videos, the DVDs, all of that stuff. Dr. J. McNamara's book, Psychology of Exceptional Fishing, all of that stuff. But you know what? We've done enough talking. It's time for you and I to get Go back. Go fishing! Absolutely. <laughs> Shut up, Martin. It's time. Let's close it down. So for Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. We wish you the best two weeks coming up May 15th. Another episode, episode number 280. So long, everybody. is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com and be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge, brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lowrance Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com. 